Thanks for joining us today. At City Life, we have one purpose, making it easy for people to say yes to Jesus. We believe today's message will empower you to do exactly that. But remember that church is so much more than a sermon you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life. What you don't know can't help you. You know, for the, the past 30 years, I have found myself kind of in a pattern, thinking that in every season of life, I would end up saying to myself, you know, in the next season, I'm going to take more rest. In the next season, I'm going to be more deliberate with my time. I'll spend more time with God, and I'll spend more time with my family, I'll spend more time... Uh, you know, rejuvenating, only to find out that in every season of life, there's always something there to take that time. And I always find myself saying, in the next season, there's always another project that's pressing in the week that requires me to work a little bit extra to accomplish. The the problem is we live in a society that has a pace that just never lets up. You know, the world, it applauds a workaholic. It's the one vice that we tend to, you know, when we admit our problems, it's the one vice that we admit, oh, I'm a bit of a workaholic, you know. We, we say it with a bit of pride. But in our, in our quest, in our modern world, our quest for bigger, for better, for more, there's only really one way to achieve that. It's to work more, to work harder, to work longer, so we can satisfy this never-ending desire. The world around us is very good at showing us what external success looks like. It's very good at showing the decorations and the trimmings and the material and and the accumulations of what we call success. What the world around us is not very good at doing is showing us what healthy souls look like. It's not good at showing us how to, how to be prosperous on the inside. And you know, I, the, when I started this series off, I made re- reference to a stat. You know, the, in the last, since 1952, there has been a thousand percent increase in unipolar depression. And unipolar depression is very simply depression that you can't attribute to a certain cause. It's just people are getting unhappier, unhappier, and unhappier. Well, right now, that's not, more isn't going to fix this problem. And working harder isn't going to fix this problem. And, uh, you know, I, I think back to when, when we started in the ministry, when Monica and I started. I, I started with a foundation in the ministry that I believed God would love me and bless me if I would just work harder. And so it started a pattern very early of working very hard. In Bible school, we got up early to pray. We were, in a, we were enrolled in a program called Master's Commission, and, and uh, it, was, it was a full-on, it was like being in the army of ministry training. I'm not even going to lie. And, and it, we learned a lot of good things in it. In Bible school, we got up every day at 7 a.m. We met at the church to pray. We went to classes in the morning and, and some of the afternoon, and then in the afternoons, we would serve in the church church and in the evenings just about every evening we would be involved in ministry at the church and so this created this pattern where we would work seven days a week 16 to 18 hours a day and this made you a good bible college student whom god could use and uh, when it came to planting a church we just brought that with us we just we were not afraid of hard work we would go weeks and sometimes months without breaks or rest and the church grew, so God must be blessing us, right? 
You know, I was reading, reading a book this week, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, and uh, this is what one pastor wrote uh, in regards to this, this um, the seven-day-a-week work ethic. He, was, he said this, he said, I was in a meeting with our church's financial board, and sitting there, it dawned on me that if I were to cheat on my wife, I would lose my job. If I stole from the church, I would be run out of town. If I lied about the church finances, I would be in trouble. If I worshipped another god, I would be removed. There's nine commandments that if I choose to break, I would most likely lose my ministry over it. But if I did not keep a Sabbath day, I would probably get a raise. We've forgotten that there's ten commandments. And again, to the person who says that we no longer need to rest, I would be curious, which of the other commandments do you think are antiquated? You know, is the commandment to murder now optional? Or is it, is it okay to lie? Is it okay if we commit adultery now? Is stealing okay? We've basically taken this one commandment to rest and turned it into a suggestion. It's the one commandment that I can break and stand up and declare to the church that I have broken it and I might even get a raise for doing it. You know, what's funny is at at first glance, you would think that this would be the easiest commandment to keep. You know, hey you, take a day off, don't work. Take some time, rest and rejuvenate. Spend some time with your family. And, and my reaction over the years has been, that's legalism, you can't make me. <clears throat> Jesus, you know, it, he came to set us free from legalism. But, you know, we, when we, we look at the other commands, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't, don't lie about others. Well, we get that, we need that. But take a day off? No, that's legalism. I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm not even going to sit here in front of you and pretend to have this area of my life in order. In 33 years, uh, I have not practiced rest as a regular basis. And, and to be, I, I want to say this more. I have not practiced the Sabbath as, as something that, I've never seen it as something that's important. You know, we're free from that. Uh, in my defense, I can honestly say I didn't know what Sabbath was. Uh, in my mind, I pictured Sabbath as like being a day where you had to sit in your house and not do anything, and you can't, you know, just kind of a boring day where you just sit, maybe hum or meditate. Um, and so not understanding what Sabbath is, it's led me to think it's not something I need to do. And from the lack of teaching that I've got for the past 33 years as a Christian, I'm willing to bet most of the people listening today don't know what it is either, because people aren't talking about it. I, wanna, I want us to just go right to the Bible here where we can, we can find in Scripture, uh, this is actually the second place where we find this practice of Sabbath being instituted. And I want to go here because this is, this is uh, Exodus chapter 20, and this is where uh, the, the children of Israel are being freed from 400 years of slavery and oppression under the Egyptians. And, and this is where God brings these, this, Moses brings down the Ten Commandments, and God speaks to the people. And this is where it says, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord 
your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And I wanted to stop there for a sec because God is setting a, he's setting a foundation here for what he's about to say. He's setting a foundation that these aren't just rules that I'm giving you. He's, he's saying, I am giving you, so I am giving you structure to help you stay free. I'm taking, I'm bringing you out of bondage. I want to bring you to a place of freedom. And, and what I'm about to give you is about to help you to become free as people. And so this is the foundation of the Ten Commandments. The first one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything of heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, your son, your daughters, nor your male or your female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner that resides in your towns. For six days, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. We're going to come back to that in a sec. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his servant, or his ox, no ox coveting, guys, no, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I love how he just puts this all into context. You know, don't covet his house, don't covet his wife, don't covet his servant, like, don't even covet his, his animals, his chickens, like, just nothing. Don't covet anything. And so, you know, we understand we understand the last six commandments are really quite straightforward and nobody would, nobody would argue with how important they are as a society that we, that we keep them. You know, we don't, there's no point where we think murder is a good idea. There's no point where we think, hey, I should be able to just take what I want from my neighbor or I should just be able to, to, to lie about whatever I want to lie about. We understand the, the, the last six commandments are about order in our, they, they have to do with preserving order in society. They relate, they address our relationship with others. Now, the first three, they have to do with preserving our relationship with God. Now, it's, it's all about keeping God as first in our lives. And you say, well, why is this important that we keep for God first in our lives? Well, you, you have to understand that, that when we know who God is, we know who we are because we're created in his image. And so when we allow other things to come before God, we actually lose our identity as people. See, we, we become like that which is first in our lives. And so if activities, if possessions, if, if wealth, if that becomes first, that begins to shape our identity. We begin to find our identity in our possessions, in, a, in what we have, in what we do, instead of, in, in who's in, in, instead of finding our identity in, in whom we belong to. But here's the fourth command. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's confusing, because who's this for? God doesn't need us to rest for his sake. You know, our neighbor, well, it probably is better for our neighbor and our relationships if we are rested, 
But you know who the fourth commandment is for? It's for you. It's for your family. It's for your relationships. It's for your soul. This, the, and, and really, the next six commandments, the, the ones that have to do with how we treat others, that really depends on us being healthy ourselves. In fact, Jesus said that all the commandments could be summed up in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, which we see in the first three. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Well, love your neighbor is the last six. But you know what the fourth one is? That's how you love yourself. You make sure you're getting rest, on a, not just on a taking a break level, but on a soul level. Sabbath, I didn't know. I didn't know I'm supposed to rest. So in this series, we've been exploring God's invitation uh, to us that we are not just invited to believe a certain set of beliefs, we're actually invited to a way of living. And we've looked at silence, we've looked at solitude, we've looked at slowing. And today I want to just really just touch the tip of the iceberg on this practice called Sabbath. Now, the early church, they pra- these were foundational practices, but a lot of these practices have been lost in the church world. And, and looking at the busyness and the bustle and, the, and, the, and the, the, just the culture around us, I don't think there's been a time when these, these practices have been more important to the health of our souls. You know, God invites us, Jesus invites us to a certain way of living. But I'll tell you something, the technology and the world around you, it's also inviting you to a certain way of living. In fact, your phone, you are the product of your phone. You are being, you, your information is being sold to other companies and they are trying to bring you into their lifestyle. They are trying to control you to buy, to consume, and to slave to a system that promises to bring satisfaction but actually ends up leaving us empty and wanting. You know, we have more wealth and freedom than we've ever had in human history, and yet the statistics are saying that our overall happiness as a society has been in decline for the last 70 years. So these practices that we've looked at, Monica and I are undertaking a journey to restore these in our lives and and to strengthen them in our lives. But I'll, I'll be honest, when it comes to practices like rest, I've discovered I'm actually not that good at it. I've discovered it's actually not that easy. One would think being told to take a day off would be easy, but it, it's, it's actually every week seems to have a reason to skip it. As you hear more about the, this, this practice of Sabbath, I'd like, to just, I'd like you to just ask yourself, has this been missing from my life? What would happen if I became intentional about putting rest, if, by, by putting Sabbath into my week? You know, there was a survey. It was done by a doctor who studied the happiness, had the happiest people on earth, and near the top of the list was a group of Christians, and you've, you've probably heard of them, Seventh-day Adventists, who, who, uh, religious, who, are re, sorry, who are literally religious about keeping the Sabbath. And this doctor noted that the, the average Seventh-day Adventist lives 10 years longer than the average American. And what's funny is the, the author of this study said, if you do the math, if you Sabbath every seven days, it adds up to, wait for it, 10 years. Almost exactly. So 
When someone says Sabbath is life-giving, it's actually not empty rhetoric. It's If the study is to believe, every day you Sabbath, you actually statistically and scientifically are likely to get it back in the form of an extended life. So what is Sabbath? Well, if you're like me, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what it was. I just thought Sabbath was, you know, that Sunday or Saturday, depending on what you think, and you just can't work. And uh, that's, that's actually not what Sabbath is. In fact, if you go, uh, if you, if in the Jewish world, the word Sabbath is rich with meaning. But really to bring it down to its simplest definition, it means this, stop and delight. It means to stop and delight. Stop working, stop striving, and delight in what you have. Don't do something for God, be with God. Don't do something for your friends and family, but be with, be present and delight in your friends and family. It's a gift of rest to us from God. And see, it, God not only made the Sabbath, but it says in Genesis chapter two, it says that he, he, he blessed the, the animals, he blessed humanity, but then it says he blessed a day. And it, you know, God blessed the seventh day and it says he made it holy. And the Sabbath, it's, it's, it's a gift to mankind. To, it's, it's one of the ways we fill our souls back up with life. You know, we look forward to holidays. May long weekend, it's one of the, the long anticipated weekends in our year, isn't it? We, we enjoy, we, we, we cross our fingers that the weather will be nice. We plan our camping trips. We look forward to it. We look forward to our holiday. But you know, the term holiday actually comes from two words, holy day. And our, you know, our government, it knows the importance of, of holy days about once a month. But God actually knew we needed it more than that. Sabbath is a weekly holy day. It's a weekly holiday that, that God instituted from the very beginning of creation. Before there was sin, before mankind was fallen, he started the pattern with a holy day of rest. And, uh, you know, it, I've been through four years of Bible school, 28 years to pastoring, and I basically treated Sabbath like it was a legalistic re- rule that was for back then, and we're no longer required to keep it. But I think about it, what would, a, what would, I be, what, what would my response be if I was told, you, you can't take Christmas off? You know, if, uh, if our, or, you know, if I'm told that I have to take Christmas Day off, or Easter off, or, or May long, you know, when we look at someone who wants to work through Christmas Day instead of do something else, we generally will assume that there's something deeply injured in that person in some way, shape, or form. I have to ask myself the same question is, maybe my resistance to Sabbath is revealing the same thing about me. Maybe there's something inside of me that isn't comfortable stopping. Maybe there's something inside of me that that is almost a little threatened by the thought of resting and delighting. Uh, John Mark Comer wrote in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, a book which much of this series is based on. Uh, I would highly recommend, if you have not read this book yet, uh, this is a great way to start these practices and just go in depth. Uh, get it and read it. But he writes in, in one section in here talking about Jesus on the Sabbath. And it says this, it says, it was a lazy Saturday afternoon, hot with, hot and with clear skies overhead. 
Jesus was hiking through a cornfield with his apprentices like you do. It was Sabbath. And this was one of the many stories about Jesus and the seventh day. Built into Jesus' life rhythm was a core practice. An entire day, every week, set aside just to slow down, to stop. But on this particular Sabbath, Jesus got in trouble with the Pharisees. These are the religious people of the day. They took issue with how Jesus and his friends were celebrating the day, royally missing the heart of God behind this practice. Jesus, in response to them, in loving rebuke, says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You know, nobody came down harder on heavy-handed legalism than Jesus. He, he continually confronted the, the, the Pharisees and he rejected the Pharisees' legalistic view of the Sabbath while at the same time he reaffirmed our need for it. In fact, he modeled what to do with it. Hang out with your mates. Have fun. Make, have some food together. He was, telling, he was telling the Pharisees, you have missed the entire point of the Sabbath. You have turned it into this burdensome, chore for people to carry out and he just simply put it very quickly he said it straight he said the sabbath you you weren't made to observe the sabbath the sabbath was made for you the sabbath was a gift to you you've missed the point it's it's the gift of god designed for you because you need it your family your friendships and most importantly your soul needs it. It's God created and designed for you and your life. See, the Pharisees had taken the command, you shall not work, and added to it, to you shall not enjoy yourself, you shall not heal, you shall not play. And Jesus confronted that head on. So here's a great question. Why do we resist rest? Why do we fight? I, my, my impression would be, if someone tells me to take a day off, I would actually think I would want to do that, but I, instead I resist it. Why do I resist it? Well, I think one, one reason we resist it is our desire for more. Our desire for more. Ecclesiastes 1, it says, no eye has ever surve surveyed the world and said, I have seen enough. One version says, the eyes of man are never full. They're never full. In other words, there is never a point where we will look at what we have or what our experience and say, I have done all I need to do. A very successful businessman was once asked, what would it take for you to feel satisfied? And he came up with an answer. He said, everything. So we work more, we buy more, we distract ourselves more, anything but stop and ask the question, what does my soul need? Dallas Willard, he put it this way, he said, desire is infinite partly because we were made by God. We were made for God and we were made to need God. We were made to run on God. We can only be satisfied by the one who's infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. And when we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite, it remains, but it becomes displaced on things that will certainly lead to our destruction. More stuff and more money won't make our souls healthier. And you know, contrary to, to a, a lot of Western faith teaching, Jesus did not come to help us move up in the socioeconomic ladder. He didn't come to just strengthen the middle class. He came to make wounded people whole. He came to, to give us rest 
for our souls. He came to give us a way of going through life that leads to more life. The second reason that we resist rest is that there's always more work to do. The, 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 the list never really does end. Biblical rest, it's not given because we've completed our work. It's given because we will never complete our work. Our solution is not more time. You know, so often I find myself going through the week, oh, if I just had one more day or if I just had two or three more hours in the day. But you know, the, that, that time actually doesn't make us more productive. In fact, there's numerous studies that have been done on productivity and they've shown that after 55 hours a week, your productivity plummets. One study actually shows that people who work 55 and 75, there's actually no production difference between the two people when it, when it comes to, to personal productivity. You know, we were made in the image of God, but we were also made from the dust. So there's this constant tension in our lives of this divine potential, the image of God, but we're in vessels of dust. We're in vessels that wear out. We have our limitation and we're inspired by our potential, that divine potential of in whose image we have been made. But we're seldom told, you know what, you're also dust. You have to accept some limitations. You have to, you have to stop and make sure you're taking care of the fragile vessel as well. And uh, the, the third reason, <clears throat> the third reason why we, resi- why we resist rest, it's, it's a funny reason. We, res- we resist rest because we're lazy. We resist rest because we're lazy. Simply put, rest is work. We, we pray for rest, but then we ignore God's invitation to a day of rest. So why, why do we resist that rest? Why do we resist it? Well, to rest actually takes effort. Rest is a discipline and it's a skill and you get better at it by practicing it continually. But to, to, true rest takes as much discipline as it takes to eat right. True rest takes as much discipline as it takes to get on an exercise program or control your emotions. True rest, you can't be lazy about true rest. Now think about this May long weekend. Many of you are probably watching from campers or watching from places. Think of this long weekend getaway. You know, when you, when you comes to the long weekend, you don't just get off work on Friday, hop in your vehicle and go camping and sit and relax by a fire. No, you have to plan this. Work must be done. Supplies and food must be bought in advance. The place of rest, maybe that's your trailer or your tent, it must be prepared in advance. The mice must be expunged. <clears throat> You know, schedules have to be cleared to prevent interruptions. You know, a relaxing holiday or a relaxing break actually takes a lot of work. But when we get in the habit of taking good breaks and the habit of taking good holidays or holy days is that we know the rest is worth it. God said we need this kind of rest more than just once in a while. We need it every week for the sake of our families, for the sakes of our home, For the sake of our souls, we need true rest. Not just a day off where we do yard work and fix things around the house. Not just any rest, but that which Jesus calls rest for our souls. And you know, we miss this rest because we don't learn how to say no. We don't know how to learn to establish our lives with intention and boundaries. We allow work 
and projects and activities to just spill all over our schedules and keep us occupied. To really rest like this, you have to say no. Knows the language of intention. It comes from self-awareness, it comes from self-restraint, and it comes from self-knowledge. No creates healthy boundaries in our lives. Jesus consistently said no in his ministry, and he wouldn't let the pressures from and expectations of others to cause him to deviate from his cause. To really be able to say yes to God's rest, we have to, be, we have to say no to something else. The, the Jewish community even has a word for, for this type of response. It's called muxta. And it's, it's the, muxta is the things that tempt us to lose the spirit of rest that we have to learn to just put away and ignore. It's the temptation to answer emails or return messages or to, to see what the notifications on our phone are. It's the, it's the temptation to go into the office to work on a project on our day off when no one else around. See, we're not just saying no just to say no. See, Sabbath isn't just about saying no and stopping. It's about delighting. Stopping and delighting, allowing us to experience restoration in our souls. It's about saying no to busyness so we can say yes to being. No to projects so we can say yes to relationships. No to distractions so we can say yes to God's presence. It's also saying no to the need to control everything to realize that our own efforts can only take us so far. And Sabbath is God's invitation for us to trust him with our lives and the details that, to be honest, we can't control anyways. It's a weekly reminder that God wants to be with us, to restore us in mind, body, and soul. As we listen to this final song, I want to invite you to stop. Take a moment and delight in your relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God today, if you're not sure even how to experience that, this song will help you give some voice to your prayers and to your soul today. Just 
Father, we are so thankful that your invitation to us is an invitation to relationship. It's, a, it's an invitation to wholeness. An invitation to being, not to doing. And Father, we want to respond to that invitation. We want to respond not just to add to our to-do list, church events or church life or church tasks or religious things, but we want to we want to experience the fullness of life that you said you came to gain, to give of life and life in abundance. Life that is rest for our souls. I'm just going to pray a prayer. And maybe you've never maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never said yes to his ways. Maybe you've said yes to a belief, but you haven't said yes to a way. I, I want to lead us in a prayer. And just wherever you're at, you can pray. Wherever you're at right now, we can pray together. And you can just join me as I pray. Father, I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to you, to your plan, and your presence. I don't want to just say yes to a belief system, but I want to say yes to your life, to your way of living that brings me to a place of life. I give you permission to shape my life the way you want it shaped, to shape my being into the way you want it shaped. I say yes to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor as a church to play just a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to seeing you soon here at City Life.